So I, I know you've got a lot going on. But remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. Welcome to the Inside Try Show with Helen Murray. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport with in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. Ready and let's go. Hello and welcome to episode 50. We've hit the big 5-0. 50 of the Inside Try Show, sponsored by Long Range Fuel from Resilient Nutrition. Thank you so much for joining me this week. It's really good to have you here. So this week, we are going to go big on embracing winter and shifting mindsets as well. So even if it's not winter where you are, you can still shift your mindset. My guest is Norway's Alan Hovder. He's multiple winner of extreme triathlons like Norseman, three times winner there, and Swissman as well. Now, he's unable to swim in a pool, so he swims outside all year round. He's a really good guy. He's pretty bonkers too. I'll be honest about that one. So I think you're going to enjoy the chat with him. And at this time of year as well, in the Northern Hemisphere especially, it can be pretty hard, can't it, to know if you should train with a cold. So we will be answering that question as well. But a huge thank you right away to Ali McDonald and his team at resilientnutrition.com for sponsoring the podcast over the last three months. Clearly, it's been so welcome in the current climate. And Resilient Nutrition along with my lovely patrons over at patreon.com forward slash inside try show have pretty much enabled me to put out a podcast each week and you to listen to a podcast from the inside try show each week. I'd like to think that you've already given resilient nutrition's long range fuel, which are performance enhancing nut butters a whirl. As long as you don't have a nut allergy, let's be honest, then really there's no excuse. <laughs> Whether you're a cinnamon and cashew kind of person, you need a quick hit first thing with coffee and pecan, or you want to up your recovery game with dark chocolate and hazelnut, or maybe you're on a keto diet and you want to stay calm with coconut and almond, then there is a long range fuel made just for you. It is 
deliciously, incredibly amazing stuff. And it's awesome for when you need to keep fueled, whether you're out on your bike, maybe you're on the turbo, you're doing an epic row over the Atlantic, or you're doing an ultramarathon, or maybe you're just heading out into the hills for a hike. And you want something that is going to give you energy, but it's kind on your stomach and it's natural as well. So yes, it is more pricey than your typical gel. But remember what Chrissy Wellington said last week about different nutrition. We need a range of products in the sports nutrition sphere. There's always going to be a place for, you know, the very easily transportable cheaper you know high glucose products i used them when i was racing um, and there will be a place for them but there's also a place for more wholesome natural products that perhaps are more conducive to especially to longer term health so with that in mind, give Long Range Fuel from Resilient Nutrition a try. Head over to resilientnutrition.com, use the code InsideTry10 for a discount, or you can just follow the link in the show notes over at InsideTryShow.com. Right, let's do some shout outs before we get to the interview. Felicity, you are back on the hockey pitch, you say. I think that is very cool indeed. And yes, it definitely counts as training, definitely. Matt, you reckon polar swims sound horrific? But at the same time, you're keen to give it a go. My top tip on this front would be getting sooner rather than later. Ema, talking of cold swims, you say you wear foot covers all year round. Loving that. Keith, you rode out to the cafe this weekend for cheese on toast. <laughs> Did you not have beans with that? Come on, baked beans and cheese on toast. Andrew, you are in a recovery week and you did a nice run with the whole family on bikes. And Doug the dog came along too. Dog looks a very nice dog. Uh, Joe, you're doing John O'Groats to Land's End, apparently. And you saw last week's guest, Chrissy Wellington, when you were out in the Quantock Hills. You say she flew past. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she would have done that. Uh, Anita, you had a double swim weekend. So you are in the Lido on Saturday and you did a lake swim on Sunday. Skins all the way. Kudos to you. Robson, you are in trying to enjoy the off-season, but you say that it's really hard, but really necessary. Yes to all of that. Stephen, you've been cycling a short stretch of the west coast of Scotland, which sounds glorious. Thomas, you were running around Lake Halville in Switzerland and then you came home. I love this to homemade cake from your daughter. And then over on Facebook, Natalie and Lou, you both headed out for a ride with dry weather on the way out and drizzle on the way home. I think we got a lot of that drizzle. Now, remember, if you do like what I do and you want to support me, then perhaps you might buy me a coffee every month or if you're feeling a little bit flashed then go for it you can be a vino buddy you can buy me a glass of wine just head over to patreon.com forward slash inside try show it is much appreciated oh and if you don't subscribe to this podcast then get on it so then it's ready and it's waiting for you each week when you need it just head to insidetryshow.com forward slash listen and then it will take you to your provider and you can subscribe from there. So insidetryshow.com forward slash listen. Time for this week's interview. Alan Hofter, welcome to the Inside Try Show. How are you in beautiful Norway? Hello, Helen, and thank you for inviting me to the show. In beautiful Norway, it's, it's actually quite beautiful. It's really starting to turn into fall now. 
So I get, presume uh, the water temperature is, uh, is down below 10 degrees. So now it's, it's getting cold to swim, but it's, so it's really nice. Does that mean then you won't get in the water now below 10 degrees or, or will you still get in? Yeah, like we talked before the podcast, I have two kids and they're a childcare, but my swim time and childcare times doesn't match. So I don't have pool times, so I, I can't swim in the pool. So it's open water or nothing. So then I prefer open water. <laughs> this is the perfect start because yeah. this is honestly, this is brilliant because <laughs> I've been told and, and yeah, we'll come back to all this sort of winter mindset thing. But I have been told that I should embrace open water swimming and that that cold water is really beneficial to, to get through winter. What do you say? Yeah, I think you should embrace the cold water. And just to have it said, like, I don't prefer cold water. I don't like to freeze. I'm not that kind of person. And I, I freeze quite easily as I'm a relatively skinny. So my advice is to, to have enough clothing on because you can dress for pretty much everything. I did have a open water swim on for Christmas Day. It was uh, two degrees in the water and it was minus three degrees in, in the air. I only lasted 11 minutes, but it, it wasn't horrible. So that's advanced, but at least down to like 10 degrees, it's, it's no problem. And, and five degrees as well, it's, it works just fine. It isn't pleasant like the first few minutes, but when you get into it, then it's, it's good. So what do you wear to be able to manage with, with those cold temperatures? Because the thought of two degree water <laughs> just fills me with dread. Yeah, yeah. So the the two degrees water is more like extreme part. So then I wear obviously my wetsuit and I have like this uh, balaclava which covers the whole head and the neck. And then I have an extra neoprene cap, cap over that one. And then you can have like more layers of clothing underneath the wetsuit. I have a neoprene vest as well, and I have a neoprene long sleeve. And then you have the, the gloves and the socks as well. So at least in the very, very cold conditions, I, I go for seven millimeter, a really thick one and the lobster gloves. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you don't need to start there. You can, you can start with your wetsuit and the balaclava, which is the really important stuff. And then you can, you can put like a wool jersey underneath and the cycle sleeve underneath the arm to give the extra insulation it, it really helps and mentally how do you prepare to get in really cold water because it's not that pleasant <laughs> uh, no it isn't for me I, uh, I i just have a training plan and a plan and i i just do it i've been doing it for so long that it, it isn't it isn't an option if i'm going to train or not to train it becomes much nicer when you get into it. And I start easily quite with getting my face exposed early and just relax and breathe with the, with the cold water in my face. And then, then I start uh, swimming. This is amazing. And, and yeah. Alan, when, when you get out the water, what do you do to warm up straight away? Do you sort of have a hot chocolate ready or is it, again, just part of your day? <laughs> yeah, no. Now I'm, I'm really lucky because I live like 30 meters from the place I go into the water. So I live in downtown Oslo. So I just jump in the field there and go. So I just go up and in the shower. That's, that is quite lucky. That is very fortunate. 
yeah that that is fortunate because then you you then you don't have to to be standing in the cold and and getting undressed as well so that that can be quite unpleasant wow what's the best open water swim for you is it a day when it's crisp and blue skies and really really cold or is it when it's snowing or when when do you think wow this is the most magical experience um, to be honest, the most magical experience is swimming in Hawaii. But uh, <laughs> uh, but other than that, I I really like uh, when it's uh, when it's these like calm days with the water is perfectly still uh, because it's it's the sea and it can be rough sometimes and uh, it's much nicer to swim in the flat seas and where we have the the clear sky and uh, yeah the nice uh, like crisp uh, air. And you're 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 inspiring me. Yeah, you should really give it a go. It's uh, give me a, a notice how you're you're getting along. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. I think um, yeah, I'm I am going in this weekend, so I will report back. And talking of kit and and what you said about you know as long as you've got the kit, you're okay. And that whole phrase about there is no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothes. Yeah, is that something that you wholeheartedly agree with? Yeah, definitely. It's uh, like the you said the Norwegian Norwegian saying it uh, on on Norwegian it rhymes. So but go on, it, tell us in Norwegian how what is it? There is nothing that is dårlig vær, bare dårlig klær. Yeah, yeah. So that was uh, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad kleder, like in a way. Yeah, that's uh, like my mom said it from I was really small <laughs> and she's been quite into like going out and wearing good clothing like wool underneath and uh, and layer of, of layer and of wool and then we have the the outdoor uh, outdoor wear so we've been when you live on the west coast of norway now we live in uh, the other part but it's a lot of rain like <laughs> so like the uk yeah yeah, I think it's uh, yeah, it's it's worse than the UK. So if you're just going to wait for the good weather, then then you can wait for a long time. Yeah, I I do like to sit on my roller as well, but uh, but I have that's more of practical reasons with the the kids and stuff. But before I I had kids, I I did do five hours ride out in the snow, and it was really magnificent. Honestly, you, this is a good shift in mindset. So do you? I was reading this article, which I, which we mentioned earlier, and and it's saying about embrace this Norwegian mentality. Is it true? Do you look forward to to winter? Yeah, I do. I because we've been to Hawaii twice, and that's not exactly winter. So the last time we we stayed there for a whole month, and while it's Hawaii is super nice, you miss the variation like every day is the same as yesterday and even though it's it's beautiful you don't you don't see the leaves falling from the trees or the blossom in the spring so it's nice to see the variations and the different seasons has its has its uh, qualities so i'm not uh, that into like the cross country skiing which uh, every other norwegians love but i i do like to to do it sometimes and like getting out on on a mountain bike with uh, spiked tires in the forest with the snow covered road and snow covered trees it's truly beautiful 
Um, and you have some other things which is really magnificent, like snow kiting. If you're, you're out on Habanga Vida and, and snow kiting, it's, yeah, at least for me, I, I, I truly feel alive when you are out in the elements. So you can have like the, the cold wind, like hitting or cold wind and snow hitting your, your face, but like you're not really cold. You just feel it like a feeling, a sensation of being alive. Also, if you've been out riding your bike in bad weather for five hours, it's coming back home and having a nice uh, hot cup of coffee, then it's, it's the best, co- best coffee you'll, you'll ever taste. <laughs> like, yeah. And isn't, isn't there a word um, in Norwegian, like, again, my, I don't know about the pronunciation, but Kusselig? Kusselig? Yeah, Kusselig. Yeah, Kusselig. And yeah, Kusselig. What does that mean and 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 is that part of this sort of mindset do you think towards a, a positive attitude towards winter and the darkness and the long long winter months yeah definitely Kusli, it's you can say like the danish word uh, which is maybe more known as hygge i think it has it has uh, had its uh, 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 got its fame in in uk yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, our world is higgly, and in UK you can say coziness, and, and it's it's like the it may be the feeling if you've been out and cross country skied out in the cold, and then you get back to the cabin or back home, and then you snug up in the sofa with a warm cup of coffee or tea, and and just uh, just enjoy it. And it's like the experience you get from from doing that after you've been outside is is much stronger than if you'd just been on the couch for the whole day. <laughs> but you mentioned before about the, the west coast of Norway and that that's very, very wet. What about the mindset there of of winter and, and the grey and the dark and the wet? Because I think that's quite different to if you have loads of snow on the ground and it's clear and crisp and beautiful, or you've just got really grey, wet ugh, days. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And in that regard, we are lucky as we live in the East Coast where we have much more like the white, crispy, the uh, white wonderland uh, kind of uh, scenery, uh, which, which, is, which is nicer. And when you have like the six months of, of grayness, then it, it can take its toll. But I think the key is to put on go- good clothing, as always, and go outside regardless of the weather because you need to get outside and the weather is often much it isn't as well uh, it isn't as bad when you actually get outside because i thought about it the other day i was out the kids were were going to bed and it was dark outside and it was cold and it was raining so it didn't look tempting at all to go out but when you just put on your wool clothing and enough clothing and and get out it's it's not that bad at all it it doesn't rain that much and you're going to be wet, either of sweat or uh, rain, regardless. So it's, it's, it's nothing to stay inside for. It's, it's so much better to just embrace it and, and get outside and enjoy that, that warm shower afterwards. Do you just a, a generally a very positive kind of guy, Alan? Yes, I think so. In general, I'm, I'm positive, but um, you have a lot of experience experience or at least life in general but especially I think if you if you pursue long distance triathlon you get a lot of experience in uh, 
handling challenges. I, I can't count the numbers. I thought like, oh, everything is going to hell. Like in a, in a race, like the first time I did Norseman in 2008, I rode about eight kilometers before I got a flat. And I didn't have a spear because you have a support car. But then I tried to call my support and the phone was busy. So of course, that's in that moment, it doesn't feel great to to be on the side of the road and see everyone is, is passing you. But I think I borrowed a rear wheel from someone else. And you handle the situation and you, it's going to improve. So uh, like nearly every long distance race I, I do, I, I think you have these moments like, no, I'm going to quit. <laughs> like, oh, no, I'm never doing this again. Like, this is the last time I would put myself through this kind of suffering. And, but that's only mom- momentarily because it, it can, five minutes after that, you can, you can feel amazing. And then you can cross the finish line and then it goes like 15 minutes and you think about what are the next race you're going to do. So challenge yourself to things that is, is quite hard and meet the obstacles like head on and see how, how, how am I going to solve this instead of like, am I going to solve this at all? Or this cannot be solved or I cannot overcome this obstacle or because it's, it's very rare that you find problems that cannot be solved. Is that then why you love long distance triathlon so much? Because it is almost like a problem solving element. Yeah, it's so much uh, about it that I uh, that I love. Also, like I, I only done a, a few Olympic distance races and some sprint races, but those kind of races, uh, it's, it's really it's really hard. <laughs> it's like is it, the intensity is so high and it's really painful. So I'm not, uh, I'm not, I don't enjoy that kind of pain where you, when I feel my lungs are going to explode, which you can do in, in that kind of race. But in the like long distance race, it's a different kind of pain or fatigue. It's like I get more into the mental battle with, with myself and try to, to push it further and, and working on the progress, how I can, how it can be better and find out in a race what, what didn't work. Why did I slow down? And why wasn't I able to push Max and, and try to, to, to solve it? So, yeah, it's a, I, I think it's the kind of problem-solving part of it is really important. And your background, actually, and how you came into triathlon, that's pretty interesting, too, because wasn't it uh, you had seen Norseman or, or something like that? Like, it was quite late on, wasn't it? Yeah, I was 23 when I started triathlon, and I, I didn't have any endurance sport background. I was a recreational kickboxer at, at the time. I saw Norseman and I was like, those people are mad. And then something in me was like, yeah, uh, I want to try. <laughs> it's like, I'm mad this too. Is insanity. <laughs> yeah, give, give me some of it. <laughs> that was my way into the sport. And yeah, like the first Norseman I did, I think I used, I used 14 hours. It, it was like this, I'm going to do it once and uh, to, to do the impossible challenge. But then you really, you really get hooked into it because you, you find like, you know, uh, when you cross the finish line, like I can do this better and I want to, to improve. So uh, it's been an ongoing journey ever since. When you finished your first Northman, did you ever think that you would then be winning it a few years later? Yeah, no, uh, it took five years after my first, uh, when I first did it and 
it was like if someone would say like in five years you're going to win the race because i was i i finished the race three hours behind the winner i i wouldn't give myself a chance of doing it and <laughs> nobody else did as well so it wasn't on my radar actually just i, I tried to improve and then uh, because it was it was difficult for me to get a slot at Northman as well. So then I had to improve and eventually get an elite slot in 2013 when I get third. And then I won in 14 and won in 15. So uh, no, it, it wasn't on my radar at all. And I, I didn't have it as a goal. Even like when I won in 2014, I was seeded as number one, but I, I didn't actually believe that I could do it. So like my biggest aim was podium finish. And you know, if so, you're going into a race, not believe even if you're seeded number one and you're not believing it how how do you make it happen <laughs> that is a good question because i've been working with i don't know if you heard of her adelaide Goodib. yep yeah like the her. mindset uh, yeah yeah like the, she's worked with norton as well and at least then we dissected uh, <laughs> my motivation i guess so it isn't i'm not focused on the results I'm focused on what I can do at this moment. So I'm focused on my performance from overall. I want to go from the start to the finish line as fast as possible. So then I have like past goals from for the swim and I have past goals for, for the bike and, and for the run. So I just execute on those things. And if it enables me to finish first, that's great. And if not, it can be great as well. <laughs> like... Yeah, if you do, do do the best you can do, it's uh, it should be good enough. Because I heard someone say like, if your if your best isn't good enough today, it would never be tomorrow. So if you're not happy with what you can do, and if you've done your best, then you'll never be happy. So then you can go your whole life be dissatisfied, regardless if you win Olympic gold or, or how far you you're going to get. That's nice. So being in the in the process and enjoying the process and controlling the things you can control like you cannot control the weather but you can control the clothing <laughs> so you, you you have the whole mindset around that, that process and so when in Northman I didn't actually believe I could win I I started to believing it quite early on the run that you could because win. then we yeah then I could win because I was starting out on the run with two other guys we were running quite fast but then I, I moved up the front and I could feel how the distance was increasing I wasn't allowing myself to turn back to to look how how it was because it's I didn't want to make it look like I actually cared how the other one was doing and it, it isn't relevant as well I would try to push as hard maintainable pace as I can of course then your supporters can tell you along the road how, how you're doing but uh, I try to not focus on my competitors it's like getting on on me and how can I run faster, like get your hip forward and, and relax your shoulder and, and get your nutrition in and get your uh, salt uh, electrolytes in and the practical stuff, which actually is the only thing that will get you faster. If, if you're focusing uh, that a competitor is, is gaining on you, it, it, isn't, it isn't a good uh, mental place to be and it, it isn't helpful at all. So what happened then last year? or 2018, 2019, I'm getting confused with the years, but basically you were overtaken 150 metres, wasn't it, from the finish line? Yeah, 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 that was 2019. Yeah. So I overtook the winner, the one who, who became the winner, I think about 15 kilometres on the run. 
something like that. So uh, I had had the lead for two and a half hours, something like that. And when I was 150 meters from the finish line, he overtook me. What went through and your I mind won. at that point? What go- did you just say? Oh, bloody hell! Yeah. No, yeah, and and that's it's quite interesting experience uh, because it's when you are that close to the finish line and it would uh, look for others that like it was the worst moment in my life. But the mountain passes has been my weakness in Northman. When I come to the mountain, I have not been that great. So uh, I have been practicing more on it, and my support was really like into focus on on the moment getting in the present and getting the right stride and going as as fast as possible the whole time so uh, we were pushing it really hard and when i looked back and saw he was maybe 20 meters behind me so when i first noticed it it was like this is a now or never moment so then i i really went all out which lasted maybe five or ten seconds and then it was full stop <laughs> literally full stop because I was like nearly that my supporter had to catch me from falling behind because my my front quads just locked up but then again I I always had the the ish or the feeling of that I wasn't able to push myself as far as I could I was like I've been trying to always push myself farther and and felt that I was like quitting on myself also the in 2018 when I won with a 10 minute margin. I didn't feel I, I was able to push what I should. But you couldn't get more motivation than being than having a competitor beating you that close to the finish line. So I really gave it all and it was nothing more I could do. So it was more like a moment of peacefulness than you could just pat yourself on the back and say, yeah, I really, really gave it all. And it wasn't enough for, for victory, but I cannot control what uh, Hans uh, Christian is the winner uh, was doing. So it wasn't bad at all, actually. I'm quite quite were happy you not, with that. Were you not? Were you a little bit gutted though when you did when you got to that finish line? Were you just like, oh? <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I I cannot look back at the episode and and remember it in that way. I would obviously prefer me to be first on the starting line. But the positive thing about being beaten closer it's like the problem wasn't my energy level was low or my fitness or like the only issue was my muscles didn't handle the big stairs so it's like yeah I I didn't train enough on on those kind of conditions so it's like the motivation you get after after being beating that is so much stronger than the motivation of winning yet again and you can draw on that motivation to to push yourself to to new heights. So it's like I didn't mind it happening, but like it's never going to happen again. <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. So so like the first thing I do did after after the race was going upstairs and and jumping double steps <laughs> to <laughs> practice to to start to, training to practice, for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, only one way year away to Northman, and so it turned out to be two, but. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like you, you need that competition to drive you forward. At least I, I do. I cannot. Uh, it's, it's difficult to, to motivate yourself to, to do it like all alone just because of you. So it's nice to have, have those moments as well. <laughs> it sounds crazy, but. 
No, no, it it doesn't. Well, I mean, I think you're totally yeah. crazy, but in a lovely way. Um, so, Alan, Kona versus Norseman. There's been a, a lot more interest recently, I'd say, in the extreme triathlons like Norseman, like Patagon Man, like Swiss Man. Are they just hands down a, a million times better and a, a gazillion times more a sense of achievement than your typical Ironman race? Yeah, now you really struck into a good question. Um, oh, they were all rubbish before. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah your, your questions are quite bad now. Um, no, but it's uh, no, no, it's uh, I, I don't, I don't have the answer. But what you do get from the extreme races is the experience in nature as well. Like the big Ironman races, it's it's quite streamlined. It doesn't feel the same when you are out on on a highway uh, with uh, 2,000 other people compared to when you're out on Hardangervidur Plateau all alone or in uh, Patagonman where you're, I don't know, I've seen a handful of people uh, the whole run as it's uh, two aid stations in total. And I, I didn't see any competitors in front or back either. So it's that's truly different. And uh, the scenery often in extreme races are really really mind-blowing so the distances are the same and the physical load is not too different but I think the experience are are quite different but then again I I, I love the extreme uh, races but I, I I have done Ironman Barcelona every year as well just to to try to be as fast as possible because it's it's a challenge of its its own with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. You mentioned being as fast as possible and that is a massive area of interest of yours, isn't it? You want to be the most aerodynamic triathlete on the planet, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Why the obsession with the aerodynamics? Uh... Because I do find aerodynamic really fascinating. That's probably like the more engineer type of, of me that, that sees, sees the fascination of aerodynamic. But, but also like for triathletes, it's the focus on, on that area has been much too low compared to what it could be. But it, it's been improving the, the last couple of years. And that's the reason why we see the, the bike splits are, are going much uh, much more down as well. But compared to... Like uh, time trialing is, is huge in, in UK uh, and to see how, how much details you are, the time trialists are putting into aerodynamics and what results they, it gives, it's, it's strange that uh, we're not doing the same in triathlon. 
what two or three tips would you say to an age grouper straight away easy wins to be more aerodynamic yeah we're going to bike position the rider is like 75 80 percent of their dynamic drag so working on on that position and working on it both in in actually like finding a good position but also training in it so like if you can see my instagram profile you can see that i was riding on my turbo with my tt helmet which is something i i've never done it before but it, it is it is a really good advice to to actually be in in your position and and put a camera on the side and record it while you're doing it and getting the sensation in training of how it how it should be because i can see it on myself as well when you see the photos of the race it isn't it doesn't look like the photos on uh, on my on my bike fit because you maybe you lift your head too much and to see up the up the road and it doesn't necessarily look same so working on the bike position is is number one and the other aerodynamic tip i would say cleaning up your storage solutions what do you mean by that? If you have the most aerodynamic triathlon bike in the world, like the frame, and put on a round bottle, it's, uh, it moves it to 10th place in the most aerodynamic bike. Like if you put a round bottle on the down tube or it's like seat stay, that's really bad. <laughs> so if you're having a round bottle, then put it behind the seat, or even better and more practical is between the arms. So don't invest uh, 10,000 pounds in the most aerodynamic bike and then put like a gel on the aero bar and, and stuff like that, that they used hundreds and thousands of hours to, to get rid of or get improved in the wind tunnel of aerodynamic and then you just glue something unaerodynamically on it. <laughs> so doesn't, the, doesn't add up. Yeah, yeah, I could also say like a helmet is really important and I think you should go for a time trial helmet more than the aero road helmet. You get halfway with an aero, uh, an aero road helmet, but uh, I think uh, a time crime helmet, it's, it's not that crazy to wear. Yeah. Like it, it isn't uncomfortable or something if you have to rack on. And you've recently done a 24 hour, um, you broke the Norwegian record, didn't you, for the furthest cycled in 24 hours. And you did some kind of insane, what, nearly 38 kilometers an hour for that? 24 hours yeah that's it was, mental alan <laughs> yeah it, it was uh, i had 199 average power and i, I did 37.1 and the course i did it in was wasn't ideal as it had uh, had uh, t- uh, around about every 10 kilometers so it was a 10 kilometer stretch i was riding back and forth for for 24 hours yeah for 24 hours yeah, yeah. i got known in that course you can yeah. <laughs> that road that stretch of road you might say did you enjoy it yeah i actually yeah it was uh, it was a really different experience as well and i'm like yeah something that was totally insane so in that stretch you had to i had to go around a turn on the roundabouts every 10 kilometers and even if that costed me like if that cost me 20 seconds each time it, it was nearly half an hour lost in turning in uh, in roundabout and it was raining the 21 of 24 hours so it was like really yeah it wasn't it wasn't pleasant but it, it was is in, in that like then you get a challenge that you never met before and then you got an option to to either cave in or handle that challenge 
Um, so it was it was interesting to see how how I coped with it, because I one thing I I did was uh, talking to myself. It's like often in a race you have like um, you you have like this internal voice that you talk to yourself like keep pushing, you can do it like one kilometer more and one kilometer more and and this like positive um, thing you say. But I came at the at the stage that I was actually shouting it like actually telling it like yeah Alan you rock you look awesome yeah you are killing it it's like super embarrassing it's like i'm pretty happy it was like uh, 4 a.m at the, at night and nobody was there because it was like yeah super squinch worthy to to have those two to actually be trying to encourage myself with actually worlds <laughs> yeah. but it worked yeah 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 it, it really worked so it's a lot of things to take from that experience and i i will i will definitely go again Will you, what, do, next year, next summer? Yeah, I wanted to go this fall. I actually wanted to do in a racetrack, but it isn't. Uh, it was harder to to book a racetrack for 24 hours than I hoped. Wow. So next summer you'll be doing that and Northman again as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I did Northman this year as well. Yes, you did. Just, what, a week after your 24 hours? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> as yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Five five days after my twenty four hour race, I was uh, jumping in the field in Apio. Yeah, so that wasn't that was very that wasn't a very good idea for to be to be honest. Like the doing the Northman alone was a very good idea, uh, and that was planned first. And then the twenty four hour ride was was planned afterwards. And I, I wasn't. It was like I have to do it now or never. So it made the Northman uh, much harder than it uh, could have been. It could have been a really nice, like just a pleasant experience and really enjoying it. But doing it so close after or, uh, such a short time after the 24 hour race, it's, I really had to work hard to, to reach the, the mountain before 6 p.m. Because then it was, uh, uh, it was the last elevator down from the mountain. So I, I could have used more time. I had all the time in the world. So like, yeah, no stress. But. The last elevator goes back, back down then. So if you're not there, then you have to walk down the mountain. I was like, no, I'm, there's no way I'm going to walk down the mountain. That is not what you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. If you no, if you finish that, because it's uh, that's a really long walk uh, when you hammer your legs for, for that long. How do you mix, Alan, all of your training and work and family as well? Because you work part-time on an oil rig, so you are, you know, offshore. How do you find that balance? Yeah, definitely. When you get uh, get children, that becomes more challenging. Like when I'm on the when I'm on the oil rig, then I, I work uh, twelve and a half hours each day. So you you don't have a lot of time to train, but it, you still have time. So even if I'm I'm working those hours, I, I still train between two and three hours each day. And is that just on the on the bike and on a treadmill? And, and yeah, on a bike weights? and treadmill, and, a, and a, I have a strength room as as well, so okay. you can you can do those kind of things. But you have like a limited time if you want to have your eight hours sleep. Yeah. So I cannot. When the regular people uh, they are done from work, they go to to uh, they go and eat dinner. But I, I cannot eat dinner and then jump on the treadmill and doing like threshold intervals. It's, it's like not working. So then I, I just take some 
like food from with me uh, and put it on my uh, where I sleep. Yeah. And I'll prepare the food for after the training. So when the job is, uh, when I'm done with the job, then I just get in my training clothing and can be on like the treadmill or the bike like five minutes afterwards. So it's just like you just prepare everything and you, you go. And then you you can eat your recovery food uh, the food afterwards you can eat it like while you're doing uh, cool down yeah. uh, on the bike for example then then they, you can combine it so then you you compromise the time you use and then you go go right to sleep if you can some people cannot sleep after they've been training so then you have to be, maybe be training before work uh, on morning if that's something that works for you but then again, when uh, when I'm home, it's uh, it's different. Then you have the kids to childcare. You can, yeah, you you have childcare. But uh, even when we when we when they were small and we didn't have childcare, we were doing a lot of training. You can do a lot of training with kids as well, like the bike uh, bike stroller or bike carrier behind the bike, uh, or, be, or you can use it as a jog baby jogger and as well. So you can do it with with children and I used that opportunity uh, as well and when my oldest got three and a half years uh, we got him a, a really nice bike and then he was able to keep up with me on recovery runs so we were running to a playground like 15 minutes and then we were playing on the playground then we were running 15 minutes back and he was cycling with me so he started wondering why we had to to go that far for a playground because it's, it's a playground much much closer but i said like no 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 we're, we're going to this other one it's, it's a much better playground so, so that was uh, a bit um I, I don't know you can sometimes you need to be creative on the solutions yeah and gordon conway so he's a listener but he also works on the rigs and he actually says would you change your job because of the huge impact on your lifestyle uh, no it 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 depends if now I'm working part-time so I'm I, I work for one week and I have five weeks off and it is the the ideal situation for me as as, as I have the kids and the training and a, a wife who's quite ambitious in her work as well but when I was working full-time it was more like a strain on the family uh, but I, I I I just managed to to get it to work, but I don't think it would be maintainable in the long run. So I think uh, I think I would uh, would probably have pushed uh, both things as as far as I could, and then I would probably experience a burnout in in some way. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I I don't know if it's helpful, but like work working uh, two or three weeks continuously night shift, it isn't beneficial for your health, and it's it's not. And I understand it. And while the while the pay is good, it's, you should have really think really really hard if the payment is good to sacrifice your health for. I think it wouldn't be maintainable to to work full time. So. A very very different question, Alan. Um, and I'm sure there's a scientific reason behind it. But um, what's with the white triathlon kit? White switch to white? Yes. Yeah. Is it yeah, through yeah, the yeah. heat? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's only the heat. Okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it, no, it's uh, it's only heat, and people also no, 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 never go white. But it's uh, when you are doing a race and and the sun is frying on you, you 
it's really nice to have the have the kit that you know reflect the most uh, most heat you you can. There is a garment that uh, like we call it cold black. So if you got that, it it can be okay as well. But uh, like for time trial helmet, it's it's super. Uh, like it can be a really big difference to have a, a white one. That's why I switched helmet because it, like they it, they could measure it to like two degrees colder in around the head. Do you ever get a little bit nervous in all white? No, no, no. It, it like yeah, of course it it depends. But like I yeah I I I never had to in a race I never had to stop and use the toilet so. Like Good. not once. So then I, I guess if, if that's an issue, then I would go for another solution. <laughs> Excellent. That was what I wanted to know. And uh, okay, so finally, 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 uh, your top tip for me with this mindset shift towards winter. Come on, give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> I think like most uh, things in life, if you want to achieve a result, it does take time. So it's rarely that a uh, one tip would give you a quick solution uh, or quick uh, will solve the problem but trying to see the possibilities in every situation and try to like actively look for the positive it's like when when i go out and it's, it's cold and rain it's like i just uh, i just let the, the wind and rain hit my face and i close my eyes and like this reminds me of northman 2014 and at that point, it was cold. You can feel like you were cold to your core. But at the same time, I was invincible. And I coped with it. So it just, it's a, see those possibilities uh, instead of the, like, obstacles, I guess. There was so much good stuff in there about the mind. So much good stuff. And obviously, yes, we need to embrace the Norwegian Kusslig. My pronunciation's awful. And uh, yeah, just let's try. Let's try. I think I, I I am trying to do a few different things and getting out there and stuff and going on head torch runs and doing the chilly swims and everything like that. Because, yeah, we need little things to keep us happy at the moment. I even watched Greatest Showman the other day. Ah, uh, that was amazing. I've heard the soundtrack a lot, but I had never watched it. So, yeah, that was great. So let me know. How are you embracing winter if you are in the Northern Hemisphere? Fill me in. Tell me on social media at Inside Tri Show or drop me an email, helen at insidetrishow.com. I, I love hearing from you and what you're up to. So yeah, just get in touch. And if you're lucky enough to be in the Southern Hemisphere right now, well, enjoy a cold beer in the sunshine just for us, all right? Yeah? Good. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Inside Tri Show. If you want to get in touch or get a little bit more information on anything, then reach out to Helen on Instagram or Twitter at Inside Tri Show. I will tell you all about my latest chilly swim after we hear from Jeff Sankoff. Now, Jeff is an emergency physician based in Denver in the States. He's also a triathlon coach and a Kona qualifier. So he's pretty well placed to chat all things training when you have a cold. So loads and loads of experience. And I bet, Jeff, a bunch of people, because you've got a doctor hat on and you've got a triathlon coach hat, hat on, I reckon people often turn to you for advice and go, oh, I've got a bit of a sore knee. What, what do you reckon I should do? Uh, you know, even before the triathlon thing came up, uh, just being a doctor uh, gets you uh, a lot of those kinds of questions. I've just got this one little thing I was hoping you could tell me about. Uh, but yes, definitely... Uh, 
you know, I, I triathlon has given me so much. It's been a pleasure to give back to the sport in any way that I could. I, I've I've helped with medical uh, tent activities at different races and uh, began uh, writing. Uh, for Triathlete Magazine and Inside Triathlon Magazine many, many years ago. And and just a couple of years ago began doing uh, what I call the TriDoc podcast. So uh, I've really had a great time answering those kinds of questions in a forum that uh, I hope has uh, proved educational and entertaining. So what's it like being in a medical tent at a race? Uh you know, it's, it's, it's mostly good because, uh, the people who, you know, generally I got the chance to work, uh, uh, at Ironman Canada, uh, many moon, many moons ago. And, uh, I had the last shift. So we were working uh, as the last finishers were coming in and, um, you know, you see people who are, you know, at their worst moment on a best day. Uh, so they're exuberant with the excitement of having finished, but then of course they're not feeling so great, but for the most part, there's really, you know, it's minor stuff and they just need some t chance to recover and get some fluids into them and they do fine. And just, uh, you know, getting people in and uh, getting them set up and making sure that they're, you know, not going to have any serious untoward uh, things happen to them. Uh, it, it's a good place to be because everybody there is uh, professional in terms of the medical folks that are working and everybody is united with the same purpose. Just get the athletes feeling better as soon as possible and on their way. And the athletes, of course, feel the same way. They just want to feel better and get back to their families and celebrate what they've accomplished. So it, it's actually a pretty positive place to be. And what's the most common thing? Is it is it dehydration or is it um, maybe falling off a bike or something? Um, by far dehydration. The people who crash uh, generally don't make it to the medical tent because they'll get picked up by ambulance and taken to a uh, hospital. But uh, for us, it's uh, at the medical tent, it's inevitably people who finish. And, uh, you know, when you finish a, a race like that, and uh, you've been going all day, your muscles are contracting and keeping uh, all of the blood coming back to your heart. And when you stop, uh, if you're dehydrated, then all of a sudden the blood starts to pool in your lower extremities and suddenly your heart will realize uh, there's not quite as much fluid in the tank as we need. And uh, then people start to feel lightheaded and unwell. And so uh, they just need to be rehydrated. In the old days, intravenous, uh, intravenous hydration was the way to go. But uh, over time and with experience, people have realized that uh, oral hydration is preferred and does just as well in most cases. And so it's just a matter of getting people to the point that they can tolerate enough fluid coming in through their mouth. And usually I think the average medical tent stay is about an hour uh, just uh, to get over the initial kind of shock to the system of having been doing something for so long and then suddenly stopping. Have you ever ended up in a medical tent? I did. <laughs> I did. Ironman Boulder of uh, 2018 was done in 106 degree Fahrenheit weather. And uh, it was horrendous. And uh, as much as I tried to keep myself hydrated on the run, it just was not enough. And as soon as I finished, I knew immediately that uh, I was not going to make it. And uh, you know, I, I had the you know, I, I knew what was going on with my body the whole way. And I was uh, on the rivet the whole way. And uh, I was fighting for a podium slot, which I which I did get. But, uh, you know, it was it was a matter of am I going to finish and get that podium spot or am I not going to finish at all? And uh, when I finished, I just immediately called for the medical folks. And I just sat down in a wheelchair and said, take me over there. And, <laughs> and uh, the funny thing is, is when they brought me in, 
and they put me right next to uh, my best friend who had uh, uh, finished second overall for the women and it was also uh, in a spot of difficulty. It was a it was a difficult day. And right. And, and I don't mean this in a, in a rude way. That's such a British thing to say, isn't it? But anyway, did you go into that medical tent feeling a little bit like, oh, I'm a doctor. I really wish I wasn't having to go in here. Not really. Uh, no, I mean, I think that, you know, you get yourself into trouble when you start thinking I'm better than this or that I, I can I can manage this on my own. I think recognizing when, you know, you need help is is important. And that goes for everybody, not just me. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was fine. I mean, I knew the people in the medical tent. So, uh, you know, it was like it was like just going to see some friends, really. <laughs> were, they, so. were they laughing at you? Were they like, Jeff, oh, come not on? <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. It was, uh, you know, it was the kind of day where they had a lot of people coming in. I was, I was, you know, fortunately one of the earlier finishers. And so it wasn't all that crowded yet, but yeah, it was that kind of day where they knew they were, they were expecting a lot of uh, people to come in and, uh, yeah. So, you know, it wasn't a big deal for me to go there. And I, I, like I said, I was there for maybe half an hour, just drinking, drinking, drinking. And, uh, eventually I was able to get up and get on my way. And I actually felt right as rain, but, uh, you know, that big of a deal. You mentioned, uh, your podcast as well there, Jeff, just, explain a little bit more about your podcast um what is it and what does it look at yeah so the tridoc podcast has been going now for a couple of years uh comes out every couple of weeks uh in it uh i answer a medical question which can be you know a variety of things uh, often i get questions around different devices or nutritional products that people have seen and they're questioning whether or not the marketing that the companies are using is really founded in scientific evidence or if it's just hype. Uh, and so I will spend time exploring the actual scientific literature to determine whether or not there is any basis for some of these claims. And I like to give a, an objective, uh, you know, an unbiased review and let people then decide what they want to do. I'll never say, you know, this is absolutely something you should get or absolutely something you shouldn't get. I'll generally just leave it up to the listeners based on the prevailing evidence, uh, my opinions. Um, and then in a second segment, I, I like to do an interview. So uh, similar to this, where I'll have somebody from the world of the sport, and that could be anyone from an age group athlete to a pro to uh, I've talked to people in the bike industry, local bike shop owners, um, bike manufacturers. Uh, I've even had series uh, of segments like, for example, after the Game Changers came out last year on Netflix, um, there was a lot of controversy around that uh, uh, film. Uh, I, I personally don't eat meat. And so I kind of, you know, I thought it would be something interesting to explore. And so I did a series of segments where I talked to a paleoanthropologist about the history of uh, meat eating and vegetarianism uh, in, in throughout uh, human history and spoke to a lawyer about animal rights. And yeah, it was just uh, so I, I've had some fun with the podcast in exploring different kinds of avenues and trying to bring uh, uh, you know, the health and wellness, as well as a, an overall view of triathlon to my listeners. And as a doctor, then going back to that, I, I love I love the combo that you, that you have on the podcast. But as a doctor, one of the biggest questions that I reckon, other than the I've got a sore knee thing, this time of year, a lot of people get colds. <laughs> yeah. Should they train with a cold? Is, is that a question that you get asked a lot? Yeah. I get asked that, yeah, a lot is understating it. I think I get asked that probably more than anything else. And it's really, it's not just one question. It's it's really more like 
two or three questions. And, you know, I always think of it as, you know, the first question is, is, is training, does training make you sick? The second question is, you know, can I train while I'm sick? And then the third question is, is, you know, how much am I going to lose if I take time off? And, you know, when do I know that it's safe to come back to training full on? And I kind of look at that and I've looked at the literature on this and the, the literature hasn't really evolved that much because it's been pretty consistent. So the first question is, is does training make you sick? And, and there's this narrative out there that, you know, hard endurance training somehow depresses your immune system and makes you susceptible to illness. And there's all kinds of manufacturers that have jumped on this and have started marketing all of these like immune boosters and yada, yada, yada. So the science on this is pretty clear. Doing exercise in general is beneficial to the immune system. It strengthens your immune system and actually makes you more resistant to becoming ill. And I should preface, or I should say, you know, right off the bat that when we talk about getting sick, we're talking principally about respiratory tract illness, because that's mostly what people are worried about. So like your common cold kind of thing. Common cold, flu, things like that. Um, And there is no question, this has been shown over and over again, people who exercise regularly, uh, even at moderate to high intensity, have a, a benefit to their immune system and get less frequently ill with respiratory illness. The issue is that there has been an observed relationship between long, high intensity efforts and becoming ill. And it's not going to be all of that, you know, unusual, or it's not going to be foreign to people to hear. I'm sure there are many people out there who have done an Ironman, for example, and find that in the, the days following an Ironman, they suddenly come down with something. And there is there is some association with that being true, and there's a few reasons for it. Uh, physiologically and biologically, we know that if you put out a very high intensity effort for a very long time, there is a depression of a specific type of antibody called IgA, which is sort of like the body's first line kind of defense against all comers. It's not a specific defense. It's just like if you get any kind of invader, any kind of virus, IgA are you know, you're this specific type of immunoglobulin that's kind of everywhere and it kind of just fastens onto things and prevents them from getting in. So within that first 24 to 48 hours, there's this window of immunosuppression where it is possible to have a slightly higher susceptibility to respiratory illness. So that is true. But again, it's high intensity and really long efforts. So we're talking more than half Ironman. It's really Ironman efforts or that kind of thing. Um, Now, again, that's only a 24 to 48 hours. And the big thing about getting sick is people think that, you know, just doing this, oh, I, you know, I I can get sick. And the thing is, there's something else that has to happen. You have to be exposed. You don't just like, it's not like these viruses or bacteria are just residing within you. And then if you do this hard effort, they're just going to be activated. If you're not exposed to something, then you're going to be fine. And and that's the, the key because people, after they do an Ironman, often get on an airplane. And it's the idea of like being in an airport and being around other people and then getting on an airplane and all of the contact you have with other people in that window of immunosuppression just heightens the potential for catching something. So it's those two things together, the the high intensity, prolonged duration effort that suppresses the immune system and then the higher likelihood of contact with someone who's carrying something. If you can mitigate 
the contact issue, then it doesn't matter that you're immunosuppressed. So people who do an Ironman and then are, you know, either traveling by themselves or even if they're traveling with close family and then they kind of don't travel right after the Ironman, they wait a couple of days, they're much less likely to, to even ever be affected by this little immune suppression. So the idea that training can make you sick, probably you know, yes, theoretically, but for most people, not going to be that important. And there are ways to protect yourself. And then the second question is, um, you know, can you train while you're sick? Yeah. And this one is a little bit tougher to sort of tease out because there's a lot of individual ver uh, variability here. I will say that, you know, for most people, when they feel unwell, they're just not going to be able to train at the same level that they would when they feel well. And, we know that, uh, you know, if you exert yourself, you're not necessarily going to prolong illness. Um, but the question is, is, are you going to feel well? I mean, are you, how are you going to feel while you're doing this? And, <laughs> and, you know, are you going to feel like crap? And then how much benefit are you really getting out of that training? And so what I always tell people is, look, if you've got something that's above the neck, so you are, uh, you know, stuffed up, you've got a sore throat, you've got a bit of a headache, there's no danger necessarily to continuing to train, but you're probably not going to feel that well. And, you know, there's no harm and, and certainly no shame in either turning it way down in terms of effort and intensity or just turning it off altogether for a couple of days because you're just not going to lose that much in your, you know, you know, in your fitness just for a couple of days to just rest up and then feel better. And then if the illness is below the neck, so you've got a fever, you're coughing up some crud, you're having any shortness of breath or any of that kind of stuff, certainly if you're having diarrhea or any kind of stomach ailment, those people really shouldn't be training. They shouldn't be trying to push through it. Uh, and that's kind of a general rule that, you know, we have in medicine above the neck, go ahead, try it if you really must, but turn it down in terms of effort and intensity. And if it's below the neck, probably want to take some time off. And again, you're just not going to lose that much because when you consider you're not going to be able to put in the same kind of efforts anyways, you might as well just take the time to get well and then get back to it you know, as soon as you can. And the last question is, is when you, when can you come back and, and, and how do you know that it's time to go? And I, I you know, again, that, that's a lot of personal variability. Um, the one thing that I would say is, uh, this year, of course, facing COVID for people who are infected with COVID, they have to be super careful coming back because we know that COVID causes a lot of, uh, chronic issues. Um, and not just with the lungs, uh, principally the one that we're worried about is with the heart for people who've had COVID, they really need to be careful with return to, um, exercise and hard training, uh, especially if they were particularly ill. And the biggest thing I could say, especially at this time of year, if you really don't want to get sick specifically with like the worst of the things, which is influenza, a vaccine, uh, the influenza vaccine is not perfect. Um, but it is the best thing that you can do if you're really concerned about getting ill during the fall months. And I, you know, can't emphasize that enough, especially in this year of pandemic, controlling flu is going to be really important. I hope you found that helpful. I have put links to Jeff, his coaching and his work in the show notes, or you can find him and his podcast over at tridoccoaching.com. 
Right, finally, some cold swim news from me. Oh, and generally, I guess, cold Helen news. Um, If you didn't see it, or you might have seen my crazy Reynard's hand after our bike ride recently. Three doctors said it's a textbook example. (laughs) And one, I'm not even joking now, one has even asked me to use it as an example in their teaching. (laughs) Uh, You will see it on my personal Twitter account at Helen F. Murray. But my hand uh, went a bit crazy after our bike ride. So there are three white fingers, one purple finger. My little finger went purple. And then the rest of my hand um, looks fine. It's just red. Um, And yeah, that was after a bike ride with me wearing gloves in the middle of October. I did make a few errors, lesson learned, fine. But yeah, it was... um, quite entertaining for the masses. Anyway, Sunday, we then carried on going chilly. And uh, yeah, we went for our cold swim again. It was 10.9 degrees this week. And I had a hat on. I had gloves and I had booties and the booties were incredible. So you step into the water and yeah, that there was no cold feet. I mean, literally no cold feet. Yeah, it was good. So it's cold. But that feeling of achievement is really pretty cool when you get out. So I'm going to carry on for a bit. Let's see how it goes. So this week's show has been sponsored by Long Range Fuel, who make phenomenally tasty performance enhancing nut butters. You'll get 10% off with the code InsideTry10, all lowercase with the figure 10, over at resilientnutrition.com or follow the link in the show notes at insidetryshow.com. 33fuel.com also support the show and I'll be bringing you details of a competition to win some of their award-winning daily greens next week. They also do natural and yummy energy bars and protein bars, workout shakes and chia seed gels and use the code insidetry33 for a discount at checkout. And as ever... The lovely James at comfuel.co.uk will give you 20% off all sorts of different things, actually. So different sports, nutrition, water bottles, face masks, sweat tests, Kendall meat cake, you name it. They've probably got it over at comfuel.co.uk. Just use the code InsideTry. Ali and everyone at resilientnutrition.com, you've been total legends over the past three months. I have loved working with you and I really do love long range fuel the nut butters are delicious so yeah thank you so much thank you for listening look after yourself look after those around you let's embrace winter and we'll speak again next week Podcast Network. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7.